WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Welcome to another edition of Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And as always, I am Raymond Wiley. Coming to you live from our secret lair on the fifth floor of Memorial Hall in the University of Georgia campus in Athens, Georgia. That's exactly right, Joe. (laughs) And wow, exciting times for the Out There radio show, my friend. I can't hold it in, Raymond, any longer. Yeah, we got like all these announcements. Yeah, we've got, well, we've got a good show, too. First, we've got this interview with um, a director, Brian Fleming, who made a movie called The God Who Wasn't There. Very interesting interview, so stick around for, for that. But yeah, it's like the number two uh, documentary on Amazon right now. Oh, is or it? Under, number two independent documentary on Amazon right it's, now. It's a very interesting film. Absolutely. Very interesting and film. also wrote Bat Boy the Musical. Yeah, which so, is, I think is also being, well, he talks about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to all that. Yeah. But first, I mean, because we talk about all this in a minute. Right. We, we've got announcements. These aren't just regular, like, announcements. Oh, email us, you know, aim us, whatever. Do that, too. But, like, listen up. Listen to this. Yeah, Go ahead, Raymond. First and foremost, we launched our website Monday night. www.wuog.org slash out there. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. And that is what our dear friend and listener Ben Teague has created for us in this website. So go out there and check it out. It's got uh, some information you may not have seen up anywhere. And it uh, looks so good. Big mad props to Ben Teague. That's for right. You are the together. Mac Daddy. It looks really ben good. Teague. It looks yes. very, very good. So. What else we got, Joe? Okay, the Chronicle article. Yeah, the Chronicle of Higher Education has done a feature article in their information technology section this week talking about WUOG podcasts and specifically the Out There show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you want to check that out... Um, you know, the Chronicle makes you, like, subscribe to read their articles. However, there is a link that will be valid for the next five days on the front page of org. So they say some really, really nice stuff about the Out There show. Yeah, read the article. And, it's yeah, really very neat. nice. And good stuff about our general manager, Erin, who, I mean, let's be honest, without her, all of her help, a lot of this podcast stuff that we've done wouldn't have even been possible. Big med props point. to Erin. That's right. That's right. So that's really exciting. But the creme de la creme oh, yeah. of all this announcements. Is, this is great. This is great. Yes. We found an affiliate. We have picked up our first affiliate here on the Out There Show. Uh, the Omnisound Radio One Network has picked us up. They're a, kind of a internet uh, radio network slash syndicator, and they run mostly shows like ours that are about the paranormal and the occult and stuff like that. And we actually ran our first episode on their station uh, this last Monday at 10 o'clock p.m. They actually ran a rerun of the Ivan Stang interview, and... Uh, a lot of people listening in, so oh, yeah. significantly increased our listenership, and 
a big coup for Greg and his syndication department here at WUOG. Big mad props to Greg. Big and mad props to Greg. Or, yep, he is the Mac Daddy as well. So, but what this means for you, dear listener in Athens? Yes. If you're listening live, we will not be played on the talk block anymore. So we won't be here at Wednesdays at 6 p.m. as usual. Our new time. Monday nights at 10 p.m. Monday nights, 10 p.m. Yeah, we appreciate the guys uh, that do motion picture soundtrack, uh, lending us a little bit of their time on Monday evenings. And uh, let me just say that one more one more time. We won't be here on Wednesdays at six. We'll be here Mondays, 10 p.m. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Can you tell we're like trying to sneak in some bumper recordings into this yeah, intro? Yeah. You know, can, so, I, can I just tell the story behind that for yeah, a second, Raymond? Yeah, yeah. Raymond wanted me to say like to. He's like, Joe, can you just slip in? At some point in the opening discussion or whatever, Mondays at 10 p.m. So that we can, you know, extract it from the recording and use it for a promo. Yes, So um, this will be take three. Mondays, 10 p.m. Is that enough? All right, one more time, any- Joe. Say it, say it like it's the end of the promo. Mondays at 10 p.m. What's that? Okay. A little, a little rushed. But, no, anyway, this is a great radio, by the way. So, yeah, Chronicle article. Check that out, WOG yeah. site. Our new website, WOG.org slash out there. Omnisound Radio One Network running the show mm-hmm. and um, helping us out in all sorts of cool ways. And, yeah, those are our big announcements as far as upcoming shows go. We know that in the next few weeks we're going to be airing a uh, Waco Incident special. Yeah, we're trying to get an interview with Dick Revis who... He wrote a book called The Ashes of Waco. He yeah. also uh, testified in front of the uh, congressional committee that looked into the Waco debacle. Right. And so um, listen up for that. Yeah, listen up for that. Show. That'll be in the next few weeks. And we've got other great stuff coming up. So, like we said, this is our last e- evening on the talk block. And in fact, this is my last night on the talk block. I've been on the talk block for two and a half years now. Wow. So, it's a long time, dude. It is a long time. So look, you want to set this interview up, Raymond? Uh, actually, we set it up in the recording. Okay, so, yeah. This it, re- this was record this was play this was recorded over spring break. So for all you who weren't around, you can hear this now. Right. So Stephen, you ready to kick it over? All right, take it away, Stephen. Hey there, welcome to another edition of Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And I'm uh, Raymond Wiley. And uh, yeah, the little mini Out There marathon we just ran was pretty fun. So if you guys have been sitting there on your computer since 7 o'clock waiting for your Brian Fleming interview, the time has come. It's here. It's here, that's right. You're about to hear it. So yeah, this week's episode is going to be an interview with an up-and-coming filmmaker and religious critic named Brian Fleming. Uh, You may be familiar with some of his works. He wrote the uh, stage musical Bat Boy the Musical, and uh, he's also writing the screenplay for the upcoming film for it. Mm -hmm. But more importantly for our show, he's recently released a film called The God Who Wasn't There, a documentary film criticizing, well, Christianity, basically. So I'm going to warn all you guys out there, this is uh, without a doubt going to be the most feather ruffling episode of out there but definitely worth sticking around yeah to stick to. around for because you know my, my challenge to you is even if some of the things that this man says offends you you should think about them because i guarantee you a lot of these questions have never been asked before in the public forum or in a public forum that you may be familiar with so anyway you know like it says in the uh, intro you know this these don't reflect the views of 90.5 FM, but it sure was fun interviewing him. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. anyway, I guess, you know, let's just go on and get into the Brian Fleming interview. Oh, wait, wait. We've got a couple announcements, though. Yeah. Uh, if you want to send us some feedback, 
outthereradio at gmail.com, or you can check out our MySpace account, myspace.com slash outthereradio. We've got episodes up on there now. The Ivan Stang interview from last week's up there. So check it out. But um, keep in mind, you're going to get a much higher quality version of those uh, episodes if you download them on our podcast, which you can access at www.wuog.org slash podcast. So, yeah, it's time to um, get into your theology on Out There. So uh, enjoy our Brian Fleming interview. All right, thanks for tuning in to another edition of Out There. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. And uh, we are here with uh, Brian Fleming, an up-and-coming independent filmmaker and, um, I guess for lack of a better term, religious critic. Would you say that's a proper proper uh, nomenclature for you, Brian? I am a critic of religion, specifically Christianity, yes. All right. Well, um, we're certainly happy to have you on the show today. So anyway, I guess we should start off talking a little bit about your background and kind of what led you to make the films that you've sort of become, I guess, famous for, really. And so, yeah, the first thing we'd like to talk about is just how you got into filmmaking and maybe some of your early works. Yeah, I didn't start out making films like uh, The God Who Wasn't There. I, I, uh, I first uh, began writing plays and, and making films that were uh, really didn't have much to do with religion or did so tangentially. Uh, my biggest project... Uh, that I did on stage was probably Bat Boy, the musical, which was a, uh, a musical about a half-bat, half-boy who was discovered by the tabloid The Weekly World News <laughs> and promoted on the week- in The Weekly World News in a series of uh, stories on the front page of that newspaper throughout the 1990s. Uh, and we took the, those tabloid stories and, and crafted them into uh, the tragic life story of Bat Boy, um, who was brought uh, to a small West Virginia town after he's discovered in a cave and he's given to family to raise as if he's human were you were you a big fan of the weekly world news at the like in in those years i guess yeah i, I am a fan of the weekly world yeah. News. I, I think their uh their their take on uh on fiction and non-fiction is, is, is very provocative my grandmother used to get every issue and i'd read them voraciously at her house every weekend yeah a lot of people don't <laughs> read the weekly world news don't quite understand what it is they think it's you know the national Enquirer, the star of the weekly world news. oh no They're in the same genre oh, no. not even in the same genre the uh the Weekly World News is a, is a weekly compendium of outrageous fiction that masquerades as if it's news. And it, it, the way they don't really hide it that much, the right. fiction. That, and uh, even the people who create it will go on talk shows and talk about how, oh, no, we just make this stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Bat Boy was kind of in that, uh, in that vein. Um, and I think it oh, was probably their best story, although their most popular one was the, they started the whole Elvis is Alive thing. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. That became a a sort of cottage industry of its own, just like Bad Boy did. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, that's the biggest thing I did on stage probably was Bad Boy the Musical, um, mm-hmm. which was, uh, it was on stage in New York in 2001 uh, in an off-Broadway theater um, called the Union Square Theater, and uh, since has gone to London and Tokyo and Toronto and some other places. Uh, and uh, the biggest movie before The God Who Wasn't There is probably Nothing So Strange, which was a uh, mock documentary. Uh, about the assassination of Bill Gates, specifically about a group of people who uh, think that the uh, Bill Gates assassination was not investigated appropriately and are looking at alternate theories as to uh, how Bill Gates was killed. Of course, Bill Gates wasn't really killed, right. but uh, that's what the movie's about. <laughs> well, cool. It's interesting that you, um, I mean, even in talking about the Bat Boy thing, I think this is going to be a point that comes up a lot later. It's almost, it's almost better when a grandiose story is admittedly 
um, false, uh, you can almost get more out of it. And it seems, I don't know, it seems almost like that's a theme that kind of comes up in your work over and over again, is that maybe people are going too far by and taking things too literally and as such missing the point in a lot of ways. Yeah, although I, we did discover with Bat Boy 2, it was very tantalizing for people uh, to think that we were asserting it might be true and for them to believe that there was a ghost of a chance it might be true. Mm-hmm. As we would do interviews with, uh, with reporters who, who didn't understand the Weekly World News and thought that it was just claiming all these things were true uh, and thought that there was just basically a chance it might be a lie kind of a thing. And, and that people who approached it that way just thought, they, they were just very excited by the idea that, well, maybe Bat Boy is real. And they, they, it, there's something about that idea that drew them into it. And, and, uh, and it, it was actually a great way to attract people's interest. With your truth is a, is a great little advertising gimmick uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, it, it saw major success. I remember with the Blair Witch Project about oh, yeah. five or six years ago. Yeah. Exactly and, the so, same thing with that. Especially teenagers just were convinced, no, this must be true. This has to be true. So anyway, I guess... Um, well, actually, I had a question, Raymond, okay. real quick. Because while we're talking about your background, Brian, one of the things that you said before uh, was that you you know, you know do consider yourself a critic of, of religion, especially Christianity. And what in your background sort of made that the case for you? Because, uh, you know, I, we've Raymond and I have both watched The God Who Wasn't There. I really enjoyed it, actually. I think something a lot of people should go see Absolutely. and go get. Um, and one of the things that came across in that movie was that you grew up as a fundamentalist Christian, is that right? I did, yeah. Yeah, and, and so how, what happened to you that you went from that to being a critic of, of this belief system that you, that you grew up with? Well, I, I went to a fundamentalist Christian school, and that's really where uh, I had the uh, dogma of fundamentalist Christianity pounded into me. That's where I was indoctrinated, and uh, I was a fully indoctrinated fundamentalist Christian for uh, for many, many years until I was about, I would say, 16, 17, when I started to uh, kind of uh, start seeing uh, the problems with that belief system. And, uh, and then I went on to college, and uh, it was in those years that I continued to question uh, the, the things that I'd been taught and basically uh, examine yeah. the things uh, that I had been taught. And once you examine the premises of Christianity, the supernatural ones, uh, especially, you know, that this man died and stayed dead three days and flew into the air and there's right. this holy ghost that's with us right now and this holy ghost can fill you with the spirit and then that spirit filling you will let you know that you are saved by the blood of this guy jesus and now you won't go to hell right. but basically each one of these claims so could of course you know upon examination be, be proved false essentially because they're simply too outrageous to believe uh and that, that's the process i went through after i got out of this this bubble where i was taught this stuff basically 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah uh and was really this? out of that that process uh I, I developed a sort of a questioning mind and uh, i i i started to you know learn to investigate all sorts of things even my movie nothing so strange came out of my investigation of the jfk assassination mm-hmm. uh which turned into an investigation of JFK assassination conspiracy theorists because yeah. I, I just found that whole community uh, very intriguing because I, I, I came to believe that their claims weren't true and I was more interested in why they believed what they believed. Interesting. And that's how I approached the God who wasn't there. I thought I was investigating this outrageous claim that Jesus Christ didn't really exist. And I wonder, wow, why would people believe that? Obviously, he did exist. Everybody knows he, he existed. How could you possibly claim he didn't? And then when I investigated their claims, I found out that they stacked up, and I, I realized that I personally had no 
you know, despite being a fundamentalist Christian, I actually had no good reason to believe that Jesus existed. There, there isn't any good reason to believe that he existed. You know, these stories are, are pretty clearly legendary stories, and it's sort of habit that causes people to believe that Jesus Christ is a real person. Can you can you go through maybe uh, a little bit, because you, you, you clearly delineate this in, in the movie, The God Who Wasn't There. Um, can you just kind of go through what the um, what the arguments are for, for Jesus not having existed? Yeah, it's really a positive argument that the early Christians did not believe in a human Jesus more than it is a negative argument. It's hard to prove a negative, but right. uh, proving the positive that early Christians believed in a mythical Christ is pretty easy. All you have to do is read what they wrote uh, it, and, and look at the timeline as far as, you know, when, when did the claims that Christ was historical start popping up? And you'd think that they would be there right uh, from the time of his supposed death, but they're not. Uh, Christ was supposed to have lived between zero and uh, roughly 33 A.D., give or take, you know, mm-hmm. what we call the first century. Uh, and during this period from uh, roughly uh, 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., there is a body of Christian writing. Uh, and there clearly, you know, those years were the beginning of uh, a Christ cult that developed into the Christian church. But those Christians never mention Bethlehem or a manger or Mary or Joseph or any miracles at all, no turning water into wine or anything like that, or um, a trial before Pontius Pilate or a trial before King Herod or a trial again before Pontius Pilate or a march through Nazareth, I mean, through a march through Jerusalem or, or mentioning Nazareth or any, I mean, the things that you and I would call the story of Jesus. These early Christians in these first decades of Christianity do not appear to have ever heard. I mean, not even one of them. Uh, they, what they had, though, was a savior figure who was remarkably similar, not only to previous savior figures, but uh, savior figures of these, uh, these religions called savior cults that were very popular at the time, uh, especially in, in Rome and, and that area, which was you know, part of the area where Christianity began. Uh, these savior cults, would have uh, usually a human uh, slash god, a god-man figure, who would die, who would stay dead three days, then would rise again on the third day and go up to his father in heaven. And these savior cults would commune with their savior figures by eating blood, uh, <laughs> eating bread, which represented the, the, the savior's flesh, and drinking blood, uh, or drinking wine, which represents these savior's uh, blood. Actually, there, there was some actual blood drinking some of them. Uh, but essentially, the what we see in early Christianity is a copycat savior cult with a Jewish God-man figure because this copycat savior cult was appealing to Jews of, of the time uh, and also taking advantage of the long, rich history that is in what we call the Old Testament. And then uh, if you look at how the Jesus story developed, you know, how the first historical details started getting added and new stories getting added on and on, what you see is that almost every story that's told about Jesus has uh, a previous uh, incarnation in some, in some other uh, religion or other legend, uh, the turning water into wine and the betrayed for you know, uh, pieces of silver. And, and, and basically everything in the Jesus story was taken from somewhere else and kind of drawn in. And most of it, in fact, was taken from the Old Testament through a process that's called Midrash, which is meditation upon old scriptures to create new uh, analogies, new, new stories that uh, you know, are, are, are meant to be fictional. So that's what we have in the New Testament uh, as far as the gospel stories go, is 
uh, stories that were created out of old material and this Christ cult that, that originally never had a historical Jesus Christ figure. And and this this sort of idea seems to be pretty obvious to a lot of a lot of biblical scholars. But it's funny that you make up or that you um, that you bring up the point in the movie that there's no real solvent argument against this that Christian apologists have. They say that what was it? They said that Satan like created these Christ-like cults to fool man or something like that into thinking that Christianity wasn't real or something like that. You hear the same argument with the dinosaurs uh, right. as well. My grandmother thinks that the dinosaurs are, you know, there were no dinosaurs. There right. were bones Sa- placed there by Satan. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same argument that was used uh, by the uh, early defenders of the Christian church because uh, the, basically the scenario I just outlined for you was extremely obvious to people back then because these cults that they were copying did exist stories they're incorporating were already being told and have been told for decades and centuries uh, by these other traditions and uh, the people who were involved in these other traditions would were just pointing their fingers and saying wait you're you're just copying your your savior couldn't possibly be this real savior you claim he is because you know he, he just got invented by you you know like yesterday and uh, and they would say well uh, no that's that's not true uh, what what happened was your savior was invented by Satan and planted earlier just to create trouble for our real true church that we're creating right now. How how did how did these how did these arguments survive science? You know, we've had hundreds of years of the scientific method and how like how are these kinds of arguments still around? Like I don't understand that. Well, violence can be stronger than science. Yeah. And we we've learned that uh you know, we've learned that lesson unfortunately a lot as the human race has, has progressed. Um Science is not science is absolutely the best way to determine the truth and to make progress, but it doesn't necessarily trump a powerful political organization with an army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if Christianity doesn't like a truth that um, that science has discovered, they'll do what they did to Galileo, and you know who he died under house arrest, and right. he was forced to retract his obviously true claim that uh, the Earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around so yeah right. really violence and political power uh, which is basically the threat of violence uh is how i think our religious dogma has uh continued to trump science at at, at key junctures although i have to say it's at, right now it's at, as we might be taking sort of a temporary dip you know with the, the george bush presidency mm-hmm. but overall right now we're you know truth has never been stronger in, in terms of the political power that is allied behind science. Uh, you know, things look bad because we clearly have ignorant people who are trying to do damage to our culture. But if you look at the big picture, things have never been better than they are right now. Here, here. Great, yeah. great. So let, let's go back. Um, we talked about science here for a minute. Let's, let's go back. We were talking about the, um, the historical timeline of New Testament works a little bit earlier. And I, I kind of feel that that needs a little bit clearer demarcation to our audience. Um, talk about the uh, timeline of when the Gospels were written, especially Mark, and um, then also the works of Paul and their lack of reference to anything in, this, in these early Gospels. Yeah, the first thing that Christians listening should understand is that their, their New Testament's in the wrong order. Uh, the Gospels are first, and then uh, the epistles are presented in, the, uh, in that book. And, and that's exactly backward, and, and no biblical scholar 
uh, even Christian biblical scholar will uh, will deny that. Uh, it's a generally the consensus is uh, generally among all scholars that first we have the letters of Paul uh, that you know many of which are presented in the New Testament. You know what's attributed to Paul isn't Paul, but there's general agreement on what Paul really did write. And uh, then after Paul uh, came the Gospels. Mark was the first one written. Uh, it's obvious because uh, the others are either uh, mostly or partly derived from Mark. Um, Luke and Matthew are are part of what are called the Synoptic Gospels, and they're very clearly derived uh, from Mark, uh, you know, almost uh, wholesale in some cases. And then John is uh, clearly inspired by Mark and includes parts uh, of uh, of Mark, uh, even though it's much more independent uh, gospel in its style. Um, Mark is clearly written after 70 AD because there's a reference to the destruction of the Jewish temple, uh, and that happened in 70, so it's pretty easy to date, you know, when was the first gospel written, when, when is our first written record of the life of Christ. And that's, uh, we that's know the that earliest it could 70, have been written. Some people put it as late as 90, and, uh, and even later, and, and basically any time after 70 but before 100 is, is legitimate, a good argument can be made for that. Uh, so what we have is a a big gap that's at least 40 years uh, between, you know, 30 and 70 um, that is almost entirely accounted for, not entirely, but almost entirely accounted for by the letters of Paul. And so Paul represents what we have as, as a document representing you know, what did Christianity look like in these early years. And it's Paul who never mentions any of these, you know, you know things about Jesus that are in the Gospels, uh, even though there are times uh, in the 80,000 words that he writes uh, where clearly he should be bringing up that he knew uh, disciples of Christ and bringing up incidents in the life of Christ that illustrate points he's trying to make in what he's writing, where basically if you were Paul and you were writing, there's no way you would be able to avoid mentioning certain miracles or certain quotations that are in the Gospels if you've been aware of them. So uh, logically, any reasonable person would determine that Paul didn't know that Jesus was supposed to be a real person because he never argues anything out of his real life. Uh, you know, basically, nobody could write 80,000 words and write what Paul writes if, if they, they knew that Jesus uh, was supposed to be historical. Right, supposedly, since didn't he supposedly meet some of Christ's disciples at different points during his travels or something like that? I mean, uh, well, as he, far as in the works of Paul that are considered legitimate, he does talk about certain people being uh, brothers in the Lord. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were, you know, in, in one case, the actual brother of, of Christ or uh, an actual person who was a disciple. But, yes, he, uh, he does claim to have uh, had contact with, say, Peter. And you'd, you'd think that he would bring up that, you know, Peter was supposed to have known Christ personally, and, and that would be the best argument in certain cases. For more details on what Paul should have written in certain points, um, I'd highly recommend a website called thejesuspuzzle.com. A scholar named Earl Doherty has done just absolutely brilliant, groundbreaking work uh, on a examining the writings of Paul and, and other writings of the time and has come up with a very cogent theory about uh, what the er two early Christianities that he sees uh, look like at that time. So your film is, is not just... Uh a critical analysis of theology, though. I think there's a, there's a lot of social commentary in it about uh, the state of religion in our country today and kind of, I don't know, what it does to people as they're growing up or how it influences people as they're growing up, as they vote, 
as they go off to war or whatever. What I want to know is, was there one moment where, you know, you decided I need to make this movie? I mean, because, I mean, I come from a kind of a similar background, I'd say, uh, fundamentalist, southern, you know, Baptist kind of upbringing, you know, indoctrination in a youth group and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's left me with the same kind of bad taste in my mouth. So I can understand how, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of your critics think that uh, you're just trying to push people's buttons and be shocking, but I can see how this must have been sort of a brave act for you. I mean, this this must have taken some sort of courage, even when you've left kind of beliefs like that behind. I mean, to take a, to take that big a step out. I mean, was there any one event or moment where you decided, this? I've got to make a film about this. This is This is a message that I've got to get out to people. No, there wasn't really any one moment, although I did come to one single conclusion that uh, leads me to do what I do. And, and, and that conclusion was that we should talk about religion uh, with the same rules of conversation that we talk about any subject, uh, which is just another way of saying that religion shouldn't be treated with kid gloves. Uh, right now we have a culture in which somebody can, can stand up and make the most ridiculous, outrageous claims, but then if they add to that, oh, and by the way, that's a religious conviction of mine. All of a sudden, this person is allowed to make these truth claims in public, try to get them to be part of the dialogue, use them even to advocate for political uh, candidates or for uh, certain uh, political policies. And we're not allowed to question them because he's added the word religion or she has added the word religion to the truth claims. And that, I think, is really dangerous for our culture, to have a situation in which the scientist has to prove his claims, the mathematician has to prove his claims, the economist has to prove his claims, but the preacher does not, or the demagogue who's using religion uh, to gain political power does not. And I decided that the movie The God Who Wasn't There would, would be an example, okay, what if we treated religion and applied to it the same standards uh, that we apply to any realm uh, of our conversation that we have uh, as a culture? And, uh, and that one conclusion led me to make this movie and to realize this whole entire genre of conversation is wide open because almost nobody, you know, save Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett and some of the other people, Richard Dawkins, you know, save the, the, a few usual suspects, uh, certainly there's no one in film who's actually talking about religion in a way that treats it as if it's just another area of our national conversation. Mm-hmm. There's a, have you ever seen um, the Bill Moyers interview with Joseph Campbell, Power of Myth? I have. I saw that whole series of interviews when we were writing Bat Boy. It's a long time ago. It's but, it's uh, wonderful, yeah, it wonderful. One of the things that Joseph Campbell talks about is um, how you know people who take these sacred texts literally are taking them, taping them totally wrongly. Like they should, these things should be taken as myth, is what what Joseph Campbell was implying. Yeah, and the, and I agree that the, these uh, spiritual texts can have a lot of power or certain stories within yeah. them is really the only way to look at them. The Bible is just too huge to say as a whole it has value. It's like, well, as, as a whole it's a portrait of this utterly despicable character called God who, who slaughters innocent people constantly as uh, just an expression of his temper. Uh, but the individual stories within the Bible, uh, many of them uh, do have a, a great mythological power and, and certain uh, lesson teaching power to them and, and they can be used, I think, safely uh, as that. Certainly, and but one of the problem comes in, I think, when people start talking about faith, and not, you know, I don't mean to knock people's beliefs. Um, I do. Well, yeah, and feel free to, um, because by the same token, like I, I, I 
I, I take strong issue with people who have this faith in something that's a text. And a text is a text to me. Like letters on a page are letters on a page. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that makes you know some more true than others. They're, they're all available to critical analysis as far as I'm concerned. And so what, what, what scares me, Brian, and also what interests me at the same time is that people can have such faith in ink on paper and go and 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 then use that to justify violence or justify you know uh denying scientific theories or whatever you know and and that's that's both scary and fascinating to me yeah there's a concept in scientology it's uh encapsulated in the phrase it's true if it's true to you <laughs> and at first glance this sounds like a wonderful concept that's right i need to determine the truth for myself but the way that this is often used by religions such as Scientology or Christianity is the religion will conduct a ritual or manipulate rhetoric in a certain way to make you feel something and then tell you to identify that feeling you have with the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how I think people take these words on a page and somehow believe they're magical. Right. It's the, that, the it's that religion altar call. as part of indoctrination practice sets up a scenario in which you feel intense emotions and you know we've had a long long thousands of years to determine what are the best theatrical ways to make people people feel certain kinds of emotions and religions use that to the hilt i mean if you go to a catholic mass you know you look at the look at all of the ceremony that's involved to make you feel a certain way and then they they literally hold this giant book above their heads and say this is the truth uh and and so i i can see how it can happen especially as a theatrical writer and and director i uh, i can see how people could start to identify this very strong emotional feelings they have uh while they're having a quote-unquote religious experience and say wow that must mean this book has magical powers right and it's funny because nobody ever considers how much just a normal fictitious film can affect them or a book that they read can affect them they you can go through the same set of emotions you know but but the thing is is like people when you see a film you know, you're not, uh, there's not someone there demanding you to believe that it's true. It's true. In you fact, know? the end credits rolling themselves say, oh, by the way, we made this up. Right. You know, <laughs> in, in, in religion, it's, it's exactly the opposite. They go tell you, you know, now go out there and believe the words right. you've heard are true and take action based upon them. You know, one of the things, Brian, that um, I, I was having this conversation the other day, and Scientology has been coming up a lot lately, and I think in the sort of, you know, national kind of dialogue. conversation and dialogue. And, um, so a friend of mine and I were talking about sort of the beliefs of Scientology, the, the hidden beliefs, the ones that they don't really tell people about, the ones you have to go online to find about, find out about. And my friend was like, oh, you know, that sounds so far-fetched. And, you know, I told him, like, you know, when you think about it, it's really no more or less far-fetched than most other religious uh, belief systems in terms of, like, the truth value of what they believe. That's what I discovered when I looked into Scientology. I, I'm, I was fascinated by it for a, a certain somewhat brief period as well, not fascinated in terms of actually going and, and trying to become a Scientologist, but right. reading what's written at, you know, Xenu.net, um, right. net, and places like that, uh, that I've done a lot of really great work looking into Scientology. Uh, but I eventually came to the same conclusion that while it's a totalitarian organization mm-hmm. that, you know, is extraordinarily nasty in the particular way it does its work, that's mainly because it's a young religion and it's no more nasty than Christianity was when it was a, a little Christ cult, uh, yeah. you know, in, the, in its first years. They all get their start that way, you know, it seems. All yeah, religions. It, when you don't have billions of dollars behind you and a lot of power already, you know, there's certain ways 
we know that political organizations gain power, and Scientology has this kind of structure that's very similar to, say, the Nazi Party and, and, and other organizations like that. Uh, but really, the theology of Scientology uh, is not in any way uh, more outlandish than... I, I don't think you can name a religion that is some, in, you know, substantially less uh, outlandish than, than uh, Scientology. It's right. just it's right there with all the others. Yeah, yeah, and that and but that's and that's what gets me is that even the average non-Christian American might think of Scientology as some sort of you know dangerous cult that has these very far-fetched beliefs, and in fact, like that person may never have really thought to. You know, rationally um, take a critical look at at the belief systems that are all around them in the majority. Yeah, it's like saying that you know astrology—that's just a bunch of crap. I'm <laughs> yeah. palm reading. Yeah, exactly. that there's something to that. It's it's really the same thing as that. Yeah. So, but uh, but I guess the problem in lies not that it's so far fetched, but that this sort of thing is used as a method of control and manipulation right. and robbery. On, I mean, you know, basically, I guess. I don't want to say weak-minded people because I think most people are susceptible to a lot of these methods. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I think we should talk a little bit about sort of the psychological effect that certain modern theological views have on our society. And, you know, I mean, we, we have all seen sort of the extremes that, say, Scientology drives people to. But, I mean, let's, let's take a minute and talk about Christianity I think one con or two concepts we need to go over uh, definitely today with you, kind of get get your feelings on, are the ideas of heaven and hell first, and how that affects sort of psychological views of you know millions and millions of people, and and also the idea of a coming apocalypse or oh, rapture. Yeah, yeah. So, the rapture is totally interesting to me. I don't understand how people can really, really right. believe that. You know. <laughs> so can you kind of address those for us, maybe? Uh, yeah, the uh, the rapture is. Uh, I get into this, this a bit in the God who wasn't there with the movie, uh, with the interview with um, uh, Scott Butcher, right. who runs a website called RaptureLetters.com, where if you are a believing Christian, one who believes in the rapture and believes you're probably going to be raptured within your lifetime, as as most people who believe in the rapture do believe, uh, you can go to this website and enter your name. Uh, and and enter, then enter the names of your friends and family who are not believing Christians. Uh, and what will happen is uh, that this website, if the rapture happens, will automatically send out a notice to your friends and family that you've been raptured and explain to you what happened and explain to you now that you're in the end times what you should do. Uh, and this is all happening uh, via a mechanism called a dead man's switch, so that if Scott Butcher isn't there to reset this switch every Saturday, every Saturday it sends out all the letters. Uh-huh. Uh, what if he sleeps in on one on a given Saturday and they all get sent out at the same <laughs> yeah, time? Yeah, Scott was actually interviewed on The Daily Show as well, an interview I discovered after uh, oh. in my uh, movie. And uh, the uh, person who interviewed him, I forget who it was, uh, said to him, well, shouldn't the letter say, Scott, uh, you know, your friend has been raptured or Scott Butcher is trapped under a refrigerator? <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, it, it is, the dead man switch isn't a perfect mechanism. Right. You know, obviously, Scott could actually just, you know, he could pass away or be hospitalized or many other things could cause someone not to be that or reset a switch on a computer yeah but overall you know i think scott's system is is uh is sound if if the rapture is indeed going to happen i mean you're going to want people to know that you've been raptured uh as far as the history of the rapture goes uh i don't know a lot of the details about how that whole theology 
came about, uh, except that it's relatively recent. It's, it's, uh, it's an idea that is not hundreds of years old, but is, is more like a hundred years old. It's mm-hmm. not something that people really believed in until relatively recently, and it's, it's all out of one tiny passage in the Bible. It's, it's not like the entire book of Revelation is about some kind of a rapture. It's sort of one of these things where they've taken a certain phrase in the Bible and blown it up into you know, multiple full-length books and movies like the Left Behind series. You know, all out of one tiny little passage, basically. Right. Uh, I, I agree, and it's perfectly indicative of how many people who claim to lead very religious Christian lives are probably not getting into even the normal biblical text much at all, and they're only taking, you know, one theological view from whatever preacher they're getting each week. Yeah. And that's that to me, that's very disconcerting. I mean, because, I mean, I think most of... I mean, though, though, um, though your criticism can be applied to Catholicism as well, I think, you know your particular inspiration came from your experiences with Protestantism here in, in America. And it's funny to me that something, the idea of Protestantism, you know, grows out of people actually getting into biblical texts and reading them and interpreting them for themselves when it seems to me like the modern Protestant movement in America has a complete disregard of that and is only going to listen to what, you know, a few mega church preachers are going to say, basically, or, you know, whatever's going to go on the airwaves or whatever. So, yeah, I kind of get lost in this whole thing in the same way that, you know, I can't really distinguish between uh, Scientology's truth claims about the universe and Christianity's truth claims about the universe. As far as one interpretation of the Bible uh, being, you know, a, a crazy one and, a, and another interpretation somehow being the same one, I, I've got no way to make these distinctions. Uh, I'm a political liberal, and when I read liberals who are criticizing you know, people who believe in the rapture or conservatives who are, quote-unquote, misusing the Bible, I don't even know what they're talking about. Because, I mean, to say that, you know, I, I don't believe that people are going to be lifted out of their cars and fly into the air somehow and, and go up on a cloud with Jesus. I only believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and by accepting him into my heart, that's how I get into heaven. You know, I, I can't distinguish, but those both sound crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neither one of them, you know, neither one of those people who believe those things should point at somebody else and say that's, you know, a misuse of the Bible. Uh, you know, the Bible is, is a work of fiction, and any interpretation of the Bible that takes it seriously is a wrong interpretation from the very beginning, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you mentioned heaven, uh, going to heaven a moment ago. Um, how do you think that the idea of heaven, and especially the idea of hell, affects not only young people, but our, our entire society psychologically? The yeah, fact that I, that's always kind of there in the back of your mind. Yeah, I, I think any religion that talks about an afterlife is, uh, you know, it's it definitely got something going for it, because people want to believe in that. Mm-hmm. They, they want to believe that they're, they're not going to die. That's kind of the uh, hook, you know. Movies about not dying, plays about not dying, books about not dying. I mean, the, it's, it's a theme that just can be endlessly tapped because people really, really want to believe that they can, they can transcend death. Uh, and, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't identify Christianity as the, the only uh, mechanism that's, that's used uh, for what psychologists call death denial. Uh, but it, it certainly uh, exploits the, the need for death denial uh, extremely well. And it and, adds fear to that equation as well, I feel. What's that, say again? I said, and it adds fear to that equation as well. Oh, definitely. 
it, you know, it, once you start getting people to believe in an afterlife and then you set up a gate in front of the afterlife and then you say, okay, now here's how you get through the gate, that you're just into flat-out manipulation. Uh, I can't see anyone who sets up a system like that uh, is, is basically a con man uh, engaging uh, in an extremely long con, a con that's actually longer than a lifetime. Uh, and, you know, it's very smart in some ways, you know, at a certain level i got to admire, you know, the audacity of doing that, um, you know, in sort of a P.T. Barnum way. It's, 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 right. it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive that, that people are able to get away with that. Um, and, and also pretty sad that people who actually start engaging in the content to fall into the con, they get indoctrinated. As it says in the book 1984, nobody's more indoctrinated than the indoctrinator. So often the person who is deceiving uh, thousands and thousands of people at a time is actually completely deceived himself. Uh, but, yeah, the concept of heaven is, is used to do uh, many harmful things, and, and probably the most harmful is that we ignore that we live in a world right here, right now, that has problems that need solved. And it's, it's extremely obvious that the uh, you know, Republican attitude toward the environment is very consistent with the idea that this world we're living in right now is going to end very soon. Yeah. You know, why bother taking care of this world? Why worry about our grandchildren? You know, our grandchildren won't exist. We're not going to have any. We're, you know, the world's going to end within my lifetime, so, you know, who cares? And that's very consistent with uh, the, the, the Republican attitude toward the environment. That's interesting, um, because there's also, one of the things, I don't know if you addressed this in your movie, but this whole, like, apocalyptic kind of mindset, there are some people out there who, who, and I don't, I don't really, I can't really you know, name one by name, because I don't really know, but I know that there are people who believe that part of their duties are, as a Christian is to try to do what they can to accelerate um, the, you know, the apocalypse and bring it about sooner than, rather than later. Yeah, there's a strain of Muslim thought that goes that way, too, and apparently the person who gave nuclear secrets from Pakistan to Iran believes in this, this strain of thought. Hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's really disturbing that someone would say, oh, my religion is driving me to you know, try to destroy this world for God. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously, we could see religious people doing exactly that. So our, our president—I mean, he—he he may not believe that he should—he—that he's in the position to, or he should be in the position to do this. But like, he is a fundamentalist Christian. He does believe in the rapture. He does believe in all these things, and so do a lot of other of his cohorts in our government. Sure, and that's—I I wouldn't say that's just a Republican thing either, Joe. I think that's that's across oh, the board. Yeah, certainly. But it's scary. Yeah, <laughs> although I think it would be an error to. To, to not notice that uh, you know, Republican uh, Christians tend to, you know, if you're going to have a rapture-believing Christian, I mean, almost certainly that Christian is going to be a Republican. Well, they believe Bush was appointed by God. Yeah, they, yeah. they do. Uh, and uh, I don't know why it is that somehow the, the, the doctrine of Jesus has been identified with Republicanism because actually Jesus was pretty much a communist. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you think that they would lean left, you know, if you believe in Jesus uh, and, and sharing wealth. And, and, and that sort of thing, and helping the poor. Uh, but so, somehow, in this country, the most crazy religious Christian ideas are identified with the Republican Party, such as you know, this you know, belief that evolution is false and that the, right. uh, the book of Genesis is literally true. There was a poll that came out, I think, just two days ago by Gallup, uh, and it showed clearly that you're far more likely to believe that evolution is false and Genesis is true if you're a Republican and if you're a Democrat. Yeah. And also, you're far more likely if you're uneducated versus educated uh, to believe the same. And at the same time, they're sort of weakening our educational system 
by by trying to take these things out of science classes and you know these are i mean these are people who would like our science teachers to to teach not only intelligent design but furthermore like creationism and that you know 10,000 year old earth theory that kind of stuff which is horrifying like i i'm going to i plan to have children one day i plan to send them to public schools you know i don't want to send them to a religious school <laughs> but that's my that might be what we get you know if, if we're not if we don't sort of play our cards right yeah and it was what's strange about these these particular uh christians who want to essentially destroy our educational system with false ideas uh is that they claim to be patriots they, they that their brand of christianity is, is is very often identified also with this sort of nationalism uh usa first and you know support for any war the u.s wants to go on and all you know basically this really jingoistic uh right. hyper patriotism when really if you believe that we should start teaching religious ideas on the same turf as our scientific ideas, you're talking about an erosion of the educational system that's going to cause the United States over the long term to slip very behind. We the European Union is allowing its students too. to learn pure science. You know, the next Silicon Valley is going to be in the European Union. It's not going to be here if, while at the same time, we're raising children to basically be confused about how you determine a scientific truth. You know, you cannot have good scientists from an educational system that doesn't respect science, and by definition, that, that means economically the United States is going to continue to fall more and more behind uh, the rest of the world. And I don't think these, I don't think these uh, Christian patriots quite see that they're arguing against the success of the United States when they're arguing for these ideas. Well said, well said. Well, Brian, I think, um, I think that covers most of the ideas in the God who wasn't there, um, and then some of your background as well. Um, I guess before we before we end our interview today, we'd like to ask you, you know, what what's next for you? What what's your uh, what kind of upcoming projects do you have? Well, I'm working on this project. I'm working on for a long time uh, a fictional film that includes many of the same ideas that are in the God who wasn't there. The film's called The Beast, and uh, we were hoping to make a release date this year that we're not going to make, and I'm going to make be making uh, some kind of announcement about that soon. Uh, but that's my big project, is, is working on that. And also, Bat Boy is going to be a movie directed by John Landis. Oh, cool. And the Bat Boy writers and I are, are writing the, uh, the, the script uh, for John. Uh, so those are the two Is it gonna, two It's going to be a musical right on the screen? It's gonna be I'm a, sorry? It's going to be a musical as well on the screen? Yeah, it's going to be a musical on the big cool. screen. Very uh, cool. John Landis directed Blues Brothers and, uh, and a bunch of other movies. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's going to be the director of, as well. uh, of uh, Bat Boy. Awesome. Well, great, great. Um, I guess before we go, do you have um, maybe any good stories, anecdotes, just about maybe some of the stuff, the controversy surrounding the God who wasn't there when it came out? Any any memorable um, any memorable stuff? Because we've read a little bit of just kind of the press coverage from back when the movie came out, and it seemed like it caused quite a stir. So. Yeah, the uh, the American Family Association, as well as Focus on the Family, and a few other organizations have uh, have have kind of uh, decided to make this movie uh, a poster child to a certain degree. In fact, there's one of those organizations that has decided uh, to launch a project um, called uh, A Fool Believes, or something of that kind, drawn out of a verse in Psalms, uh, that's basically about me and the movie. And so they're going to make a movie that tries to counter every claim in the movie and attacks you know, Brian Fleming uh, as, as much as possible. Uh, I think that's probably the most interesting thing that, it, that, that this documentary has inspired a counter documentary, which I, I think overall is good. Yeah. Well, um, it means that your message is, is getting across, and that it's a strong message too. You know? Yeah, the, the, you know, the, I see the movie as, and this doesn't sound positive, but I believe it is a sort of a faith destroyer. 
you see this movie and your faith is never as strong because it's got these truths in it that you know most Christians don't know. So anything that makes it more likely that a believing Christian is going to see the God who wasn't there, I think is a good thing. So mm-hmm. the, the more they try to uh, protest the movie, the really the better it is for the movie. Right. Well, don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They kind of know that, but they can't help themselves. Yeah, yeah, they have it's, to fight At back, first right? they did try to not talk about the movie, but they're not. <laughs> you know, as the movie continues to get out there, and we're like number two on Amazon independent documentaries right now, and they find things out about like this about it, they're like, oh, well, we can't ignore this movie. And, <laughs> and to a certain extent, they're right. It's probably better for them not to ignore it, you know, Otherwise, the, the claims in the movie go out there unanswered. Can you uh, tell us, our listeners, maybe where they can find out more information about your, your films? And I know you have a blog as well and that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you just Google Brian Fleming, and that's uh, F-L-E-M-M-I-N-G, you can find out about me. Uh, my, the first link that will come up will be uh, my blog. Uh, and uh, if you want to know about uh, The God Who Wasn't There, the website is thegodmovie.com. Just all one word, thegodmovie.com. Great. And were there any maybe additional resources you could point our listeners to if they want to um, study some of these uh, theological claims? Yeah. In fact, you know, um, I just uh, posted a blog entry about that 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 is sort of a message to to people, uh, you know, where else they can find that. So if you go to my blog, there's an entry like that. Uh, I would definitely recommend the JesusPuzzle.com. Or or actually, it's not the Jesus. It's just uh, JesusPuzzle.com. That's Earl Doherty's site. And uh, there's a, a website called uh, Internet Infidels uh, that's part of the Secular Web Project. Uh, Internet Infidels has a lot of great essays. Uh, you, you can spend days clicking around reading some of the best writing that's ever been written uh, from, a, from a godless perspective. Great. Brian Fleming, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks right. a lot, Brian. All right, well, have a good day, Brian. You too. It's Bye. Great talking to you. All right, well, we're back here live in the studio. This is Out There. I'm Raymond. I'm Joe. Yep, yep. And uh, we're, we're going to wrap this up really quick today. I think that interview pretty much summed it up. That was, that was a lot of fun, man. That was, oh, yeah, yeah. It was, good it was cool. It was cool that Brian uh, came on and did the show for us. And uh, great interview. So summed up a lot of the stuff you'll see in that movie. But still go check it out. Like he said, thegodmovie.com. Also, he mentioned a site about Scientology, if you're interested in that, because I know the there's a big Rolling Stone article, amongst other things. So, I was reading that during... During the show, during actually. The show, yeah. uh, Xenu.com, X-E-N-U.com, for more Scientology information stuff. And he also mentioned the Jesus Puzzle. And uh, yeah, that's really about it for us this week, Joe. I mean, If you like our show, send us an email, outthereradio at gmail.com. Right, or send me an instant message at outthereradio on AOL Instant Messenger. That's our screen name, outthereradio. Um, yeah, or subscribe to the podcast, whatever, wog.org slash podcast. You guys uh, have a good day. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.